Good evening. Uh, well, good evening, good morning, good day. <laughs> Doesn't I'm not really sure because for us it's evening, but it might be any other time of the day for you guys. But welcome to Voice of Reason Radio, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on this 26th of September, 2020, the year that will live in infamy. It's getting close. It's almost done. Maybe we can make it. <laughs> but we thank you for joining and uh, joining us and being with us. Uh, we promise. Well, we, we try to promise anyway. We promise this week will not be critical race theory based. Uh, <laughs> although there was one sliver out of the previous show that we pulled out of this, but not for that purpose. So <laughs> we wanted to cover a particular passage. So that's what we're doing tonight. But we are going to give your your Swiss cheese brains a break because that's where we all are <laughs> right now with this entire thing. The uh, the the thing that just will not uh, end or die, it just keeps on trucking. Well, that's not going to be our topic tonight. So you can be very, very grateful for that because we certainly are. And uh, But just grateful to have you with us as we you guys join us each and every week. Uh, still amazes me. Uh, I, we, and, and you know what? If you're new, if you're new to the show, Welcome. Rich, I picked up a handful of people. Maybe a little more than a handful. Thanks to a <laughs> thanks to a, th a thread that I put out there that uh, Dr. James White shared and next thing I know my my phone nearly melted down. So if you are new, if you are a new listener because you followed us on Twitter, myself or Rich on Twitter because of that thread, uh, we welcome you. We hope you uh, are we hope you enjoy this program. Hope you're blessed by it. And uh, maybe if you enjoy it and are blessed by it and you feel it glorifies God, perhaps you'll share it with others tonight. So uh, if you are new, welcome. I'm Chris Honholtz, the guy on the other side of the microphone. And two time zones away is my brother, our brother in Christ, Richard Story. How are you doing this week, brother? Well, brother, like I always say, better than I deserve. <laughs> and, um, it, it's been a very interesting year, like you said, um, I have a feeling, this is not a prophecy, mind you, <laughs> but I have a feeling October is going to be one really wild ride Ugh. as we go into the November elections. And um, But that's all I'll say for that, because we did promise our listeners where we're going to step back and, and jump into the Word of God and prayerfully glorify God tonight in His Word and Amen. get off of some of these um media type focused shows we've done several of those over the last few weeks yes as we've been able to come together we're on a roll this is two weeks in a row both of us <laughs> were able to to be on um i saw a very very interesting picture i think it was today <laughs> it was a picture of chris honholtz wearing a suit and a tie <laughs> and i have to tell you brother you clean up and look <laughs> really nice, you know, with, without a uh, Captain America uniform or street clothes or whatever. But you, you clean up, look really nice in, in, in that get up and look like a real man for once. Oh, oh, you had to go there. <laughs> you realize how much you're going to give Andrew that with that one. Andrew's going to run with that. Thanks a lot, man. I'm going to find a I'm going to find a, a, a nice bus to throw you under eventually here. <laughs> Um, oh, you know what? I need to be careful. If I blew your eardrums out, I need to turn my face, face away from the microphone when I laugh. 
because uh, well, I, we we had a very nice review, but apparently I I, I have a, ha- a habit of laughing right in the microphone and blowing people's eardrums out. So I got to work well, on that. <laughs> I, I read that review, and I'm I have um, I'm yet to decide whether the person that wrote it was trying to be funny or if they were serious. Because in actuality, the headset rig I have is not a El Cheapo rig, and the way this gentleman made it sound i'm talking into a tin can i mean i, I know think the I'm word he used was potato and i huh <laughs> i think the word he used was potato potato okay i don't know where uh, that granted, came from <laughs> you know I, I know i'm a southerner and everyone else has an accent but i didn't really think it was that bad <laughs> oh well i tell you brother it it it, it gave me some pause for thought I, I will give him this. We do maybe spend a little too much time at the beginning with our little uh, our little uh, rambling. So, I, folks, will try to work on that. And if I have blown your eardrums out, um, I will work on turning my face away when I laugh because I do ra- laugh rather loudly, I guess. So uh, I, we'll work on that. But yes, I, I was wearing a a suit. Uh, I I actually looked re- tried to look presentable uh we we had a we had a function wherein a family member of ours uh from you know was uh, getting married we were invited to that so i felt it appropriate to be dressed for the occasion and not dressed as so many of y'all seem to think that's the only outfit i wear is this is the captain america suit i i still can't six years of podcasting how many years of blogging and you all still think the only thing <laughs> thing you want to remember me for is that suit. But yes, I did try to clean up nicely. Wanted to make myself presentable. Uh, just one of those occasions where you got it. You, you, you're going to force me into a tie. So I had to do it. <laughs> well, dude, think of it like this. At least you will be remembered. Even if it is for your Captain America suit. <laughs> you know, honestly, I did. That's, I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, gu- guaranteed. I will. I will. I will never be able to show my face, even though I'm registered. I will never really be able to show my face at Shepherd's Conference because anybody that's seen that picture is is just you're the dude on the poster with the you know the suit and John MacArthur and yeah no 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a hard turn here but is it just me or have you noticed the amount of hate in this country just seems to be growing and expanding and almost exploding to the point that you know there's absolutely no regard anymore for authority regardless of whether Mm -hmm. it's parents or law enforcement or the government and the word love and following christ are all but forgotten, even among a lot of a lot of big big Eva type yeah. people. That's something that sadly we're not seeing, we're not hearing talked about. Is the love we're commanding commanded to have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah. and that's that's disturbing. When as as a as professing Christians, you you see and hear and expose some more hatred type 
postings and, and verbiage and, you know, it's, I demand this, I demand that, instead of actually sharing and explaining that we are commanded to love one another as Christ loved the church, mm-hmm. as Christ loved those that he saved. And that was kind of the angle that we're going tonight with, with tonight's topic, where we're going to cover, actually cover Ephesians 4.18 and kind of delve into the true meaning of that verse since that was type kind of the anchor verse from last week. We wanted to expand on that and, and give a real biblical explanation of what that verse truly means. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a good way to do, lead in and kind of describe tonight's show? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the, the as you said, that was an anchor verse for a really bad explanation of the noetic effect of sin, which we talked about last week. But it's an important verse, especially when we get into the context of what Paul was writing to the Ephesians in chapter 4. And so, yeah, I, I think it's right and good to actually put that terrible uh, explanation where it belongs in a circle file and never bring it up again and and actually talk about for Christians why that section of Ephesians is important because Paul is talking to church to the church to Christians about how they should live and how they should act and how they should not act in uh, as people whose minds are dead in sin whose whose thinking is futile and so, yeah, I absolutely agree. When you said we, we let's expand on this tonight, I think that was a fantastic w- way to to really explore that without turning it into something that's uh, that that it wasn't. And uh, you know, that particular pastor needs to really re-examine why he preaches what he preaches, and let's talk about what it actually says. So, brother, I'm I'm totally with you. Let's dive into that. Well. You know, as you and I both have said many times on this program, that you cannot look at one verse. You have to look at the entire chapter and take everything into context. And this one verse, you actually have to look at that entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 4. But actually, the middle to the end of chapter 3 is rather the preface to this chapter, and it even rolls on over into about half of chapter 5. Um, I won't read all of that, but I would like to cover and read all of chapter 4 to kind of get our minds set into where this verse lands within that context. Mm-hmm. But for those listening to the show, I would encourage you to go back and actually read all of chapter 3, reread chapter 4, and read at least half of chapter 5 to truly understand this verse in its complete context, because all of, all of that from those other two chapters, one, like I said, is a preface, and chapter 5 rather sums it all up really nicely. And um, I apologize that my phone decided it was just going to jump all over the place. And, <laughs> I already have gremlins. I was trying to open up Ephesians chapter 4 and everything under the sun was 
popping and sliding and everything else. But um, I, I'm going to read chapter four and then pretty much hand over most of the rest of the show to Chris. <laughs> but um, really, for for one thing, it when 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 you're trying to explain a passage of scripture, it's really distracting when you have two different people adding input on on the commentary on it. I will add a little bit here and there as we go, but um, we're, we're not going to preach a sermon, but we are going to attempt to do an expository type show on this passage of scripture. So, and this is usually, this is actually a little something different than what we normally do. <laughs> usually we just chit chat and let you eavesdrop on our private conversation, but we're, we're, we're going to try something a little bit different tonight, but um, <clears throat> going to Ephesians chapter 4 and get your Bible out, and you're welcome to read along with me. I'm reading from the ESV version. Um, so, so Daryl, so that's the elect standard version, because I know he listens. <laughs> well, um, you and I, Chris, are a lot alike. I, I like to read the ESV, but I study from the NASB, and I know that may sound weird, I just like the way that you know what you're I'm comfortable with the way that the wording flows with the ESV. You you are actually in fantastic company because Nate Pickowitz says he prepares all his sermons from the NASB, but he you know when he gets up in the pulpit he teaches from the ESV because it's easier for the congregation. Because as good as the NASB is, it's a bit clunkier. You you're right. It's the ESV rolls easier, but if you want a solid word for word. I at just about everybody I talk to, they they go with the NASB, and if you're a King well, James onlyist, don't bother emailing me. I'm not going to argue <laughs> with you. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to it. <laughs> one one more rabbit hole. I've never seen a Geneva onlyist. It's always the King James version only onlyist. But when the, since the Geneva Bible actually came out prior to that. I, I rarely ever even see anyone mention that version. Do you? <laughs> uh, I see it mentioned when you're talking to somebody who's got a really big brain, like Dr. James White or somebody, but that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, well, we'll get back on track here. Um, <laughs> um, the, it's titled, Unity in the Body of Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he, is, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might I fill all things, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. And, and like I said earlier, I would encourage you to go ahead and read on into chapter 5, which rather unites and ties all of this together, but the verse we were focusing on was somewhat the middle verse, was verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, Chris, I'm going to let you take the reins, and, and I'll beep in from time to time from this point forward. No problem, brother. And I don't know if you remember, but this is actually the chapter we started this podcast with was Ephesians chapter 4. And it was the idea of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Um, that's where we started this show. So here we are, over four years later, we're back uh, almost a full 360, but with a slightly different bent. So there's the way I look at... Um, chapter 4 is there's kind of three main parts to this. The first is kind of a positive call and command of how we should live as Christians, that we are to walk worthy, we're to be humble, we're uh, to be gentle, that there's this, this amazing reason for that, and that is 
There is one body, one spirit, just, uh, just as you were called into the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This calling because of we we serve this amazing God, this this one God, one church, one spirit, that we are unified in Christ. And that Christ, when he came and then he ascended, he gave gifts to men, the gifts and callings of the church. Why? So that you, there could be prophets and shepherds and evangelists and teachers. Why? So we could equip each other. He equips the body of Christ so that we can edify and strengthen and build up this church where Christ is the head. And so that we can, that, that this body grows and builds itself up in love. With that all of this is that we are to serve and love and grow together because of the gifts that Christ has given us. And then he goes into this second portion where he talks about to not walk as the Gentiles do, which is where much of our, our, our time is going to be spent tonight. And then he talks about, you know, in that last portion, kind of the, the commands from a negative perspective that we are not to steal. We're not to let the sun go down on our anger. That we're going to let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away. So you have this positive in, in uh, coming in saying, this is what you were made for. This is what you're equipped for. This is how you grow together. Now, that being the case, don't you dare walk as the Gentiles do. And he explains why the Gentiles walk as they do. And there's a warning with that, that if we walk as the Gentiles do, there is a danger to the body. There's a danger to the Christian in that. And then that, with that in mind, now, put all these things that you once were away. Don't walk in this way, but yet rather be, in, you know, growing and being obedient to the Lord, you know, and, and being trusting in Him and uh, being kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So again, going into back into that positive commandment of these things that we should do as Christians. So this whole chapter is surrounded on on either side of these commands with this centerpiece being this idea that we are not to walk as the gentiles do because the gentiles walk as they do for a particular reason uh, i'll start with verse 17 paul writes now i say this and testify in the lord you must no longer walk as the gentiles do in the futility of their minds now remember ephesus is was just a completely debaucherous culture. You know, you had the the temple of Diana. You had you know uh, you know all this false worship. You had uh, a great deal of uh, debauchery in terms of sexual immorality going on. And these people were saved out of that. I think it was um, Pastor MacArthur who referred to him. I, I can't remember if it was in his uh, commentary or his study Bible, but he makes a note. In fact, I think it was in the commentary. He says that. Um, the Ephesian church was this tiny little island in a cesspool of sin, is basically how he put it. I might be slightly paraphrasing that, but they, they were this tiny island just surrounded by all sides with nothing but debauchery. And that's where uh, that uh, 
uh, oh yeah, Rich, thank you. He just sent me. They were the keepers of Artemis. So I mean, it was it just absolutely uh, inundated with false worship, sin, debauchery, uh, sexual immorality, all kinds of stuff, and. The Ephesian church not only was in this, but the the people had been saved out of that culture. So he's saying, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And and, and in his uh, commentary uh, on on Ephesians, uh, Pastor John MacArthur refers to the fact that the the Gentiles, it was used in a variety of ways, but in this particular case, it was that the Gentiles referring to kind of the the pagan, non-Christian culture. And so to not, basically pointing to everything other than Christ. uh, That's what he's referring to. And so he's saying, you no longer walk as as they do. And uh, to quote from the MacArthur Study Bible, he says, uh, as far as spiritual and moral issues are concerned, their rational processes are distorted and inadequate, inevitably failing to produce godly understanding or moral living. So when Paul is writing to them and he says that they are in the futility of their minds, they are unable to, because they have, of their being dead in trespasses and sin, that they are unable to produce godly understanding or moral living. Okay, you know, when we talked about the noetic effect of sin last week, it's not that you are unable to have rational thought, but you cannot move beyond your nature. You have a sinful nature. Your mind is trapped in this sinful nature. And so your your thinking is distorted and you just simply cannot produce godly understanding or moral living because of the of the the taint of sin in the human mind. That's what he's talking about here. And he goes into to verse 18, and he says, they, uh, referring to, again, the Gentiles, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, again, Pastor MacArthur in the, uh, his study Bible says that unbelievers are spiritually separated from God, thus ignorant of God's truth. And their willing, their their willing spiritual darkness and moral blindness is the result. So they are separated from God. You you do not have His illumination through the Holy Spirit. You are walking in spiritual darkness. You are blind to true godly morality, and so that's as a result of being separated from God. That is what has happened. They are spiritually darkened, and they have no ability to even understand or perceive true godly morality. That is what he is saying here is that as Christians, we are not to walk in the way that the Gentiles do. Remember that the Gentiles are trapped in their, uh, their trespasses and sins and their consciences are seared. Going, uh, I, I pulled this from uh, Ligonier's Reformation Study Bible from, for verses 14, excuse, from chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. And they say that this passage closely resembles the critique of the Gentile culture in Romans 1, and it contains echoes of the descriptions of the Ephesians' prior condition to paganism in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and verses 11 and 12. While the letter to the Romans shows God as giving Gentiles over to a reckless and wanton life, and that's uh, Romans 1, 24 through 31, Ephesians present, presents that same progression from the human side as those who have turned aside 
as those who have turned aside have given themselves up. So we, we go back to Romans chapter 1, and we've talked about this before, that there's a point where God gives a people over to a debased mind. Because you, the, the nation and the people have tur so turned from the word of God, so turned in the, uh, in the deadness of their sin, so embraced sin, that he just gives them over to it. And as, uh, as R.C. Sproul said in that particular uh, note, this is the, the human side of it. You're giving yourself up over to that hardened heart, that closed mind to God, that futile thinking. So I want to I want to take some time to go through some things that I pulled from a couple of commentaries regarding this particular passage. I'm going to read some quotes that will help clarify what is going on in this passage. So the first one I want to pull from is the Reformed Expository Commentary on Ephesians by I think it's Brian Ch Chapel Chapel or Chapelle I think it's Chapel. And I'm going to read some quotes from this and, and just talk about this a little bit. So. The first thing that uh, Brian Chapel writes in, in that I've, I've taken down is he says, The seriousness of the apostles' warning is apparent at the outset of this passage. And again, we're talking, you know, seven, starting in 17. He says, The Ephesian Christians must no, no longer live as the Gentiles do. The Greek wording actually indicates that believers must walk differently indicating that Christians must be on a different path than the rest of the world if we are to be faithful to God. If we simply walk down the same paths as everyone else, then there is something amiss in our Christian lives. The gifts of grace do not annul the calling to a separated life. Remember, he just spent 16 verses talking about that we are united in Christ. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, you know, one church. We're in Christ, and we've just been equipped by Christ who has ascended into heaven to build us up, or to, for these gifts to be used to build us up, and we are to look to Christ who is the head of the church. So that, that, that's a very specific path he set us on. He says, I have given you, God has given you these gifts, and as such, you're to live a certain way. And so he speaks specifically to these Ephesians, which has application to us, don't live like the world you're in. You're actually called to be separate, apart. If you are so inundated, so uh, infected by the ways of the world, you are not any different than the world. You've been called to something else. And he's right. You know, Brian Chappelle's absolutely right. The gifts of grace do not annul our call to a separate life. See, I think there are a lot of people we go, well, we're not, we're under grace, we're not under law, so therefore to say that I have to be obedient to the commands of God is, is legalism. No, as a Christian, before you were a Christian, you couldn't obey the, uh, the commands of God to save your life. Not even for a moment. But in Christ, we are made capable to be obedient. We don't earn merit, but it is a revealing of who we are. If we don't care to, to even know what the commands of God are, and we walk like the rest of the world and say, well, I'm under grace, that's a problem. As, as Brian Chappelle said, something is amiss in our life if that's how we want to live. So he is telling them, you are called to an entirely different path. You may live in the midst of the worst kinds of sin in the world, but you aren't to live like that. You are called to be something else. 
So then Brian Chappelle writes, the darkened understanding relates to spiritual ignorance and the consequences is separation from the life of God. Talking about the Gentiles, that the, uh, their darkened understanding is relating to spiritual ignorance. And like I said earlier, you can have rational thought. You, you can go, hey, it's a red light. I need to stop. Hey, fire. Don't stick my hand in it. Don't stick the penny in the outlet. You can, you can have rational thought. You can do things and live in this world. You can balance your checkbook. You can hold a job. Being darkened in your thinking isn't that you can't think at all. It simply says that you are dead in understanding when it comes to the issues of things of the spirit. And the result of that, the consequence of that, is you're separated from God. Because you, uh, if you are without Christ, if you are still dead in your trespasses and sins, you are not on the same playing field as far as being able to understand, speak to, and live according to the commands of God. That you don't have that understanding, and you are separated from a life of God. There's nothing you can do apart from Christ that is pleasing to God. So all these people that say, well, I pray, you're praying to the dead air because God has no obligation to listen to you. And you can't even pray because your thinking is under you, about who God is and how prayer works is disconnected. Because you're dead in your thinking, your your thinking is futile and darkened. Uh, Chappelle go, or Chappell goes on to say, Paul does not merely speak of a hard heart, but a hardened heart. And again, this is going into uh, these passages where he said uh, Paul has written that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of the uh, of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So this, this problem, this thinking, this disconnection, this darkened thinking, it's because of the hardness of their heart. And Chappelle says, it's not just that they have a hard heart, but they have a hardened heart. And he says, the word in Greek implies a certain stubbornness and reflects the consequences of opportunities being resisted. Okay, this is this hardened heart is that it's like searing a piece of meat. The more you do it, the harder that meat becomes. The the repeated choices of, the, of, of resisting the opportunities that the Lord has presented that continues to harden and harden and harden that heart until it's rock solid. Chappelle writes, repeatedly making wrong choices causes the heart to become callous, making it ever more insensitive to God's will and ways. The sclerosis of the heart is the result of deliberate choices repeatedly being made again against the life ordained by God. And it is possible for such disease to enter the Christian life. So what, what is Brian saying here? That the, the more often that a person resists God, the more often they sin against God, the more they continue to make choices that is in rebellion to God, the harder and harder that heart becomes. And that is a direct result of the choices that a person makes. That they are, you know, they're dead in their thinking to begin with. They're dead in trespasses and sins. And the more they they go after that, the more they chase after, the more they justify their sin, the more they justify their own self-righteousness, the heart, more hardened they become against God. And again, why is this a warning? Why is he saying don't live like this? Don't live like the Gentiles? Because as a Christian, 
I can, I can harden my heart to the things of God. Now, God will correct me. If I'm genuinely in Christ, God will correct me. And it may be darn painful, but he's going to correct me. But it can enter my life as a Christian. If I begin to make exceptions for sin, if I begin to resist the, uh, the commands of God and his word, then I can start hardening my heart. And I can start uh, not listening and not following his commands for my life. And so the result becomes I can start walking like them and acting like them, and I'm supposed to be a Christian. That's a huge problem. And it, eventually what it can also reveal is maybe I never was. If I continue to down that path where I just don't care, what I may be showing is I made a profession, but I never possessed salvation. So a couple more quotes from Brian Chappelle. Chapel. I see. I can't say it right. Um, sensuality outside the path of God's promises to uh, sensuality outside the path of God promises to satisfy, but it only destroys the heart. It darkens the mind and it deadens the senses. So the more often we choose to follow the the the, the desire to satisfy our sensuality, the desire to you know to satisfy our lust. We think it's going to award us something. But in fact, what it does is it just destroys our heart and mind and deadens our senses. And that's what was the problem with the Ephesians, in uh, the Gentiles in Ephesus. They were destroyed of mind and heart, and they were dead to enter their senses, and they could not perceive the things of God. And this was a warning to the church, do not follow this path. And one last thing he says is that the sin which we indulge for a while hardens our hearts, darkens our minds to the evil of what we are doing, and ultimately makes us less sensitive to and less fulfilled by the profound satisfaction God provides by his blessings in our lives. As Christians, we are to be wholly dependent on the Word of God, wholly dependent on His provision, wholly dependent on His grace and His mercy. But when we indulge in sin and our heart and mind continues to be hardened and seared, we are less sensitive and less fulfilled by what God has done in our lives. And we have less satisfaction in his blessings and we look to the temporal, which can never satisfy. Rich, uh, before I move on, any thoughts here? Well, just I would like to add, and as a reminder to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that in today's world, especially in today's climate in this world, we can get in the habit of getting so wrapped up and all the negative, and all the hate, and all the politics going on around us, we forget to go back and actually focus on God and God's Word and the unity in Christ and the love in Christ. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves that we are here to serve Christ. We're not here to change the world. We're here to share the gospel and be a light to the Gentiles and in, in today's terms, be a light to those unsaved, to set an example that is truly a reflection of a life within the confines of Christianity, not to just merely, you know, profess to be a Christian. We need to be setting an example as Christians and to truly do as Christ commands us, 
not because we are obligated to obey those commands, but out of love, reverence, and thankfulness to Christ, we should want to be obedient to what Christ commands us to do and how we should walk and how we should act and how we should think. And unless you're constantly in the Word of God, reading your Bible, studying your Bible, in today's world, it is very easy to start sliding and getting on one of Paul Bunyan's wrong paths and ending up in a pit of despair or one of the other lost areas that Paul Bunyan describes within the, the Pilgrim's Progress. And I love that book because it so represents even Christianity today. Unless we stay on that true path, we will veer off. And the farther we veer, the farther we get away from the true meaning of the Word of God. And you see things going on like we see in the world. People will start making excuses for the way that they think, for the things that they watch, for the things that they say. And it's because even within salvation in Christ, we can still vary and, and, you know, wander off that path. But like you said, Chris, if we're truly saved, the Lord will discipline us and get us back on that true path. But the problem in today's world is that it is so easy to get off the true path, meaning the actual Word of God, that I think in today's world, especially in America, we need to be spending twice as much time in the Word of God reading and studying than maybe even previous generations because there's so much hatred, so much defiance within this world today, and we need to remember the commands of Christ, and we need to remember to be that shining light, that shining example of Christ in us, forgiving one another, showing love, showing forgiveness, walking in humility, you know, not letting our pride take the place of our love for Christ. And that, to me, this section and this chapter is a reminder, not only to the Gentiles of that day, but to all of us as Christians today, to be mindful of our walk in Christ. Amen. Amen. I mean, that that's what I think it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in these few verses here, 17 through 19, and say, you know, to, to really kind of laser focus on this is the unregenerate mind, that it is, few, that it, you, they are futile in their thinking, that their understanding is darkened, that they're alienated from God. They have hardness of heart. They're callous and giving themselves up to all kinds of sin. And that's really easy to kind of get laser focused on just those few verses and say, this is the world. And, and that's an absolutely correct assessment. But as you said, even though God will correct a true Christian's uh, behavior in time, he will, and he will allow us to suffer the consequences of our behavior, there is a danger in that if we do not recognize we are acting like the sin-hardened world, that our mind is taking on that darkened, futile thinking, that our hearts are becoming hardened, there is a danger that you know, even if God just allows for the consequences of our sin, we may become altogether 
unable to do anything other than the bare basics of that God could ever use us for in this life because we will be so busy being corrected and uh, you know and, and having that rod of discipline brought against us that maybe the only thing we ever becoming good for is, is being a bad example. And then the but one worse thing is that if we as Christians do not call one another to do as Paul says here, to not walk as the Gentiles walk, then we could allow people who are futile in their thinking, who do have hardened hearts, to believe the worst possible thing they could believe, that they're all right with God when they're not. So this is important not only for us because as individuals it corrects my thinking and it brings me back to the point that I have to honor the word of God and honor his commands in my life. But it also equips me, as Paul said in the first section in that first 16 verses, to come alongside and build up my brethren and to remind them not to walk as they do. And if they are continuing to do so, then to start bringing the issue of church discipline into play. So this is so very important because we absolutely need to understand there is a reason that we are called not to walk in the manner that the Gentiles do. So let me let me read some stuff from John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary on Ephesians. And again, focusing on these few verses here. And you're going to see some overlap, but I, I, I like some of the things that MacArthur said, so I wanted to share this as well. MacArthur writes, on the basis of what we are in Christ and of that and of, the, uh, of that God now purposes for us as his redeemed and beloved children, we are to be absolutely distinct from the rest of the world, which does not know or follow him. We are called to be separate, distinct. We are not citizens of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. God has called us and he has purposed us for something. He has redeemed us and we are his beloved children. Look, let's just think about it this way. If I have a father who uh, desperately loves me, does everything he can to care for me, provides for me, and etc., how foolish would it be for me to go down the street as a child and try to to claim that the man who beats his children, uh, uh, abuses his wife, is a drunk and is a, uh, you know, know, and every other sinful, vile thing under the sun he's my father what an what an abuse of god's love what a terrible representation i am to the to the world around me of someone who has a father a genuine father yet i'm going somewhere else that's what we are we're distinct we've been called out of the world the world is no longer our parent we have one father and that's god and we are to be his beloved children. And the way we show that is how we act and talk and think in this world. So we are not to be like the rest of the world. We are to be distinct from them. We are not to be on the same path as Brian Chapel wrote. We are to be distinct and unique. MacArthur also writes, as far you know, regarding the uh, how the mind of the Gentiles, he says, as far as spiritual and moral issues are concerned, an unbeliever cannot think straight. His rational processes in those areas are warped and inadequate. Again, why do the Gentiles walk as they do? 
because they're not his. They are not given illumination of the word of God by the Holy Spirit. They can know of God. We know from natural revelation. Go back to Romans 1. We can look at the world and know there is a God. Go ahead, Rich. Oh, I didn't say anything, brother. Oh, I thought you said something. I heard it. I heard it jump. So we <laughs> we can we can know something about God, but we cannot know Him, and we cannot follow Him, and we cannot uh, connect to Him on that spiritual level. We can't think straight without Christ. Our thinking is warped and inadequate outside of Christ, and that's why they behave the way they do. Why is the world at large right now, it, let's just take America, why are there riots going on right now? Because there are people whose spiritual and moral compasses are out of whack. They cannot perceive things on a, in a spiritual basis. They cannot look at what they're doing and going, this is wrong. They cannot understand that destroying a business that had nothing to do with why you're upset is a good idea. They just can't understand it. Why? Because their minds are not they are darkened. They are uh, they are futile, and they cannot think straight, as MacArthur says. They just can't make that connection. MacArthur also goes on to say, because man's sinfulness flows out of his repro reprobate mind, so his acts flows out of his mind. The transformation must begin with the mind. Christianity is a cognitive is cognitive before it's experiential. It is our thinking that makes us consider the gospel and think and our thinking that causes us to believe the historic facts and spiritual truths of the gospel and to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. As Lord and Savior, excuse me. That is why the first step in repentance is a change of mind about oneself, about one's spiritual condition and about God. Our mind dictates what I'm going to do. My, I, I, I don't wave my hand in the air when I talk because I don't have control of my hand. Even if I don't have a cognizant thought to say, lift my hand, my mind still guides my hand. My words are because of what come, goes through my mind. My actions are because of what I think. How I speak, how I think, how I act, that's where it begins. That's why you can't live the gospel and have someone become a Christian. You actually have to tell them the gospel because it is a cognitive experience. There has to be something. Yes, uh, the Holy Spirit regenerates man. Yes, the man, a man comes to faith because the faith is a gift from God. But how does he get there? Because the gospel is preached and it enters his mind and his thinking is engaged. And that is where the Holy Spirit works. Our minds are so very important. That is why, why we've talked about some of these mind-numbing, you know, terrible ideologies. Because this is an issue of the mind. It is where people's corrupted thinking is being affected. And we only way. Why do we say, preach the gospel, don't worry about these godless ideologies? Because it is the mind we must reach. It is the heart we must reach. We must get in there with the word of God. You can't just have a, a thoughtless Christianity. It is a thinking man's faith. 
And the reason the world doesn't receive it is because their mind is darkened. And it is our job as Christians to go out into the world, to preach the gospel, and pray that God would enlighten the minds of the lost. MacArthur also writes, The spiritual thinking and resulting lifestyle of the Gentiles is inevitably empty, vain, and void of substance. The life of an unbeliever is bound up in thinking and, and acting in an arena of ultimate trivia. He consumes himself in the pursuit of goals that are purely selfish, in the accumulation of that which is temporary, and in looking for, the satisfa looking for satisfaction in that which is intrinsically deceptive and disappointing. Why is the world chasing after, hey, we need to have all the same stuff? Because that's what's fair. Because you are have your thinking is vain and void of substance. You're thinking about what's self-centered. You're thinking about, well, I want everybody to have the same stuff because if everybody has the same stuff, then maybe I might do better, right? I mean, that's the whole thinking behind it. Nobody thinks let's have everybody have the same stuff so I go lower in my status, which is what socialism does, by the way. Nobody thinks of it in that way. They don't think they're going to go lower. Even the rich man who says, yeah, let's do socialism, plans on staying higher. He knows how to game it, okay? We are consumed by the pursuit of that which is deceptive and disappointing because nothing is ever enough. Look, I'm a gadget nut. I got a lot of gadgets and I'm always looking for the next gadget. It's never enough. Only in Christ can we find true satisfaction. Because he is the same today, tomorrow, and forevermore. I don't have to wait for the next big thing when it comes to Christ. I have it. And my satisfaction is in him and all that he gives me. Whether it's high or low on the social spectrum. We can't... We have to be careful about how we walk if we are walking like the world because the world in its darkened thinking is chasing after things that can't satisfy and they will always be chasing something else. MacArthur further writes, the cause of their ignorance, ignorance, darkness, and separation from God is the hardness of their heart, their willful determination to remain in sin. Because men determined to reject him, God judicially and sovereignly determines to blind their minds exclude them from his presence and confirm them in spiritual ignorance. And we see that back in Romans 1. Romans 1, he gives them over to a debased mind. When people harden their heart against God and continue to go, uh, go deeper in, into their futile thinking, God will give them over. Why is that important for the church? Again, we must walk as Christ walks, not as the Gentiles walk. Do you want to be the person that tests your faith? You know, we're supposed to test ourselves, see if we're in the faith, right? First John, full of tests for the Christian. Not to say I can merit salvation, but am I in am I in Christ? Am I truly saved? If I don't am not willing to examine myself to see if I'm walking as the Gentiles walk, do you want to take that you know, risk? Do you want to stand and before God one day and, and explain how you thought you could live in utter rebellion to him yet claim Christ? Because God will give those who have rejected him 
over to their debased mind. And one day you're going to be running down the street in, in, a, uh, in an atheist parade, <laughs> waving the banner of the LGBT or whatever it is and saying, well, I used to be a Christian. Okay, that's a little extreme. I apologize. But that's a risk. That's what happens if we as the church don't do the things that Paul writes about in the first 16 verses that we come together to build one another up and we don't if we don't call on our brethren to walk as Christ walked to stay separate and unique and distinct if we don't call upon them do we want to be the ones that could have called a wayward son back because he was never really a son to begin with and we call him back to the faith and he genuinely gets saved do we want to be the ones that let that happen if they if they walk away? Now, granted, those that leave us will must leave us because they will reveal they never were of us. That's you know John writes that, but we still have a responsibility, a duty, to be as the church to call people out of that, even people within our own buildings, within our own pews, within our own families, because. This is how the Gentiles walk, and this is why. And if a Christian is walking this way, a professing Christian is walking this way, they're in danger. And lastly, uh, the last quote I pulled from his commentary, MacArthur writes, Because of the hardness of their heart, the ungodly are unresponsive to truth. Have you ever wondered why you can't have, win an argument on Twitter with, a, with an atheist? This is why. The ungodly are unresponsive to truth. Just as a corpse cannot hear a conversation in the mortuary, the person who is spiritually dead in his trespasses and sins cannot hear or understand the things of God, no matter how loudly or clearly they may be declared or evidenced in his presence. Why is it you can spend all day, every day, talking about a eh, six-day creation of the earth, talking about manuscript uh, you know, uh, transmission, talking about uh, the, you know, the historicity of the Bible, and you give evidence after evidence after evidence. And then you talk about what the Bible says, and this person is just not listening to you. It's because they're unresponsive to the truth. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They are futile in their thinking. They are like a corpse in a mortuary. Your job, Christian, is to preach the gospel. And it's okay to have those conversations. But recognize this. You cannot win them to the truth. Only Christ can do that. Your job is to preach the gospel. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will save those whom he's going to save. And those who receive that truth are the ones that God has enlightened through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to worry about the end result. That's God's business. But we need to speak the truth. That's why this nonsense of the seeker-friendly church is Garbage. And I'm going to call it that. It's garbage. Because the ungodly are not one to the truth through cool music, awesome laser shows, uh, skits, and every other cheesy trick that you can come up with. Because they are dead in their thinking. And they must have a spiritual rejuvenation. And that only comes if we as Christians preach the gospel to them. But then, likewise, we must be responsible to the gospel ourselves. We must seek to be conformed to his image and his commandments 
and walk his path and not the path of the world. And Rich, I mean, I keep chattering away here. I keep forgetting. Uh, any thoughts from you as I'm kind of running long-winded here? <laughs> well, I was just going to surmise something you said earlier about um, in our mind, but we need to also remember <laughs> that Christianity is also about our heart, and for someone to profess to be a Christian and live a life as a heartless Christian is a sad waste of salvation because there are far more commandments from Christ when it comes to loving one another as we love ourselves and to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And sharing the gospel is an outward expression of that love, both for God and our neighbor and those around us. And without sharing the gospel itself in some way, form, or fashion, people will never come to Christ. Um, we have a huge, huge numbers of church people in this country, but sadly, far few Christians are sitting among those pews. And it is evident by the fruits of their work and the words that come out of their mouths. I don't care how many years you spend in seminary, like I saw someone share the other day, you can be theologically taught and still not be a true child of God. It's, it's not the knowledge in your head. It's the, um, the grace that's in your heart given to you by Christ that determines your walk in Christ. Now, like I said earlier, we can stray on that walk, but if we're truly saved, the Lord's going to discipline us and bring us back onto that path. And I think one of the major problems, and you and I talked about this on a previous show, is that somewhere over the last few decades, instead of sharing the gospel, it got reduced down to invite someone to church. Now we have invited the world into the church, and the church did not change those that came in, but those that came in changed that particular church to where we have more churches today that look like the world than churches that look like the true bride of Christ. Yeah. And this these these passages not only apply to those that don't profess to be saved, they emphatically imply to most of those today that do profess to be saved because there are untold numbers of people today that profess to be Christian, that walk and act and do exactly what this portion of Ephesians commands us not to do. Mm -hmm. And we have got to be heart-filled Christians obeying the commands from Christ and doing things out of love and not be seeking our own fame, our own fortune, like so many are doing. Um, you know, when I die, I would like to be known for nothing else other than that man really loved Jesus, and he really loved sharing the gospel. If that's all I'm remembered for, then I think I've accomplished what I was put here to do. Amen. Amen. You know, here's the thing. We've just spent like an hour talking about the mind of the unregenerate. Here's the beautiful side of that, Rich. The mind in Christ is free. We have the mind of Christ. 
We have the illumination of the Holy Spirit when we open the Word. We are not bound to our sinfulness. We're actually free to obey Christ. We're free to say no to sin. We are enslaved to Christ, but we are no longer slaves to sin. So the true freedom that we, that we all look for can only be found in one place, and that's in Christ, because we are made a new creation. We're a new man. The old man is put to death. The chains that bind up our thinking, their, their shackles are removed. They're broken. We no longer have to be bound up in sinful thinking. We no longer have to chase after that which can never satisfy. We can be satisfied in Christ. That's how you can have apostles who were beaten and bloodied and thrown in deep, uh, 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 dank, dark prisons, and yet they're singing hymns. That's how you can have Paul being shipwrecked and smacked with canes and, and you know, stoned and left outside of Lystra for dead. He gets himself off, gets himself up, dusts himself off, and goes back in and preaches Christ. The very thing that they tried to kill him for. How? Because he's no longer bound up in his thinking in the way of the world. He is free in Christ. Your mind is free in Christ. That's amazing. So when you see the evening news and you go, I can't believe they're saying these things and doing these things. I can't believe Washington acts that way. I can't believe these so-called peaceful protesters are doing this. I can't believe my, you know, my genius neighbor who's got the Biden sign up can't see. His mind is depraved. Because it is bound in sin. You, Christian, are free. And now, guess what you get to do? You get to share Christ with someone else so that their mind may be freed. When we look at the world around us, two things should happen. Number one, a profound sense of sorrow for people who are bound up in their dead and the deadness of their trespasses and sins and are on their way to hell. That's number one. But number two, it should be a reminder to us we are not to walk in the way of the Gentiles. We don't have that bound up mind. We have the mind of Christ. And we should walk an entirely different path. And the world should be able to see that. So... We promised you, we, we almost kind of touched it, but we promised you no, no critical race theory tonight, and I hope we have achieved that. Rich, do you think we did it? <laughs> well, I think so, brother, and I, I, I truly hope that we've, we've, we've given some of our brothers and sisters some things to think about and perhaps even examine the way that they've approached this climate in today's world. Um, uh, you and I will discuss this further, but... I think a follow-up to, to tonight's show may be um, an episode we'd worked on a few weeks ago about examining ourselves in Christ um, as a follow-up to tonight's episode. That may be, a, may be a good topic to hit on next week. Amen. Amen. We may just do that. 
Well, folks, thank you for your time. And again, if you are new to this program, um, we welcome you. You know, it seems like we get new listeners coming and going. And so if you're brand new, we thank you for joining us. We hope this program has given you a lot to, to chew on and that as you go into your week, you're thinking, how can I live knowing that I am free in Christ and that my mind has been freed from the bondage of sin? Think about that this week and how, how might you live knowing that? That's our challenge to you. And if you're new, as I said, thank you for joining us. If you ever have comments or questions, please feel free to write us. Uh, Voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. You can always get a hold of us there. You can find our website at slavetothekeng.com, which has connections to our social media. It also has connections to our uh, our various podcasting RSS feeds. Um, hopefully you're one of uh, you're a new listener that maybe joined up via Amazon's podcast uh, tab, I guess, uh, under their uh, Amazon Music and Audible uh, lineup. We've we've been approved to be part of that. I know we're on in a couple other places. I had hoped last week. I apologize for this; it didn't work out because I did, I still don't know everything I'm supposed to know. But I thought that the the buttons that I clicked on the uh, the program before the program last week would enable the uh, website to send everything over to YouTube with our logo and the audio, but I think there's something that has to do with limitations that YouTube does for certain things, and the words don't mean anything to me because I'm not that smart. And so there's a way that I can apparently can download the download a video esque type thing that they create for me and upload it. I didn't have time to do that last week. I'll, if I can make it work this week, I'll try to put it there. Otherwise, we'll get around to it. So I apologize. I, I put that out there last week in hopes that it would work, and I was wrong. But we still do have us on various platforms. Uh, more and more, it's it uh, your Google Podcasts, we're on there. We're on Spotify. We're on so many different platforms that one of these days I will get to around to updating the website so you can find them all. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you the, the time you take to listen to the program. And we're just going to – I know this sounds repetitive, but I just want to put this out there. If the show is helpful to you, if you actually are blessed by it, consider sharing it with others. Not so that we get high numbers. That Trust me, we're in no danger of getting high numbers. <laughs> but we want to be as a blessing as to many as many people as we can. And so if you find this helpful to you, to you consider sharing it with someone else. Uh, that's all we're hoping to do. If you are finding that there's, this program does bless you, as I've said before, consider leaving a review on whatever format you're listening to us on. Those reviews help other people make decisions about what they want to listen to. And if there's something of value here for you, if you if you leave that behind as a, in the uh, the form of a review, then someone else can make a decision if they want to listen to us. Um, that that's just my pitch. Consider doing that, uh, folks. We really appreciate the fact that you spend time with us and that you put us on our podcast or on this podcast this podcast on your app i do want to consent ask you to consider one other thing though we are i don't say this often enough and andrew i do apologize because i need to be better about it but um we are part of the christian podcast community and there is a huge number of programs on there that you could actually find some some 
good material. Uh, the one I just recently listened to that I found very uh, helpful was Matter of Theology, and it's got a, a you know, it's got three different hosts: uh, uh, Drew Van Nita, Chris Huff, and I. You guys are killing me here. The the podcast app didn't give me the, all the names, but uh, they have some great stuff. I was just listening to. They had a uh, a, a one where they actually interviewed uh, Pastor Tom Buck out of Texas. Uh, he's SBC talking about pastoring through the pandemic and the riots and the various issues that come with being a pastor in these kind of times. And it's, it's been a great interview. I really would recommend you guys check it out. But go to the Christian Podcast community. There are tons of programs there. You're going to find something. You're going to be blessed by it. But uh, that's that's one I wanted to highlight this week. I just started listening to it myself and uh, actually look forward to getting to meet uh, Chris Huff. Uh, he's going to be at the Cruciform Conference that my wife and I get to go to uh, in just a few weeks. So, Chris, I hope you listen to the program because I, ta- I, I, I tagged you. And uh, I gave an advertisement for your show, man. So just saying. Help a brother out. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And I think I just blew eardrums again. Sorry. So go check out the Christian Podcast community. Go check out Matter of Theology. And thank you for being with us this week. We really, really appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you next time. God bless. Good night. We'll see you then.